Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Bubble. I am Montana Samuels. He is Mike Bonner. And we are continuing our discussion about football this week. Mike, we have a very special guest. I think both of us are really excited to talk to uh, Dr. Michael Alasco, who is the lead author of the Annals of Neurology study that was published last summer. And for those of you going, Montana, what the hell are you talking about? The Annals of Neurology study was the massive study put out by uh, Boston University, um, which delved into CTE and uh, the CTE development in ex-football players' brains, um, 246 brains to be exact, of which 211 were diagnosed with CTE. I know it's, it's an interview that we've been really excited to get and just kind of conversate with because it's one that's really interesting, and I know you are extremely excited because you cleaned yourself up for it. Got a new oh, haircut. Yeah. Got, yeah, shaved the beard a little bit. I mean, this is all for Dr. Olasco. This think is all for, really... the, all for the podcast interview in which Dr. Olasco <laughs> did not see what I looked like. Yeah. No, a bit of a, you know, for those of you who don't know what I look like, which is for pretty much all of you, considering how I have a face for radio, not for TV, I had long hair before this, and now my hair's a bit shorter. It is. That, it was that's, kind of shoulder length, and now... Yeah. You know, you live in Florida. I tell everyone this. You live on the beach in Florida for long enough, you start to grow your hair out, you know? I didn't know that. That's interesting. It, I didn't it's know a, that was a thing. It's a proven fact. You lived in Florida? I didn't know that either. I don't even know who you are. I went to college in Florida. You knew that. Oh, yeah. I did know that. Are we even friends? What's happening? No, we're just co-hosts. Just co-hosts. <laughs> we actually don't know each other outside of this. We This is totally fabricated. They throw us in this podcast room and... <laughs> See All what right, happens. You two. Make yeah. magic. Make podcast magic, you two. Yep. And here's, speaking of magic, this was, we'll slide right into the interview. What a transit. I know. Mike's That's what happens. It, Mike's figuring it out, guys. He's got the transitions down. And we are here with Dr. Michael Olasco. Um, we, Mike and I both got familiar with him after... Uh, his study came out, well, a study he was a, he was the lead author of last summer, the Annals of Neurology came out, um, and a bit of an in-depth uh, research into CTE and uh, football players who have had it. They studied uh, the brains of 246 uh, ex-football players, I believe. Uh, so yeah, we're interested to speak with him about his experience doing that research. Dr. Olasco, how's it going? Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So um, I wanted to jump in with uh, giving the, I think CTE is this term that people have started to hear a lot recently, maybe within the last three to five years or so, but I don't think people are very familiar with what the disease actually is. Could you give us a bit of a brief as to what it is and why it's important and how it pertains to football? Yeah, sure, of course. So CTE, it stands for Chronic Traumatic encephalopathy. Mm -hmm. um, it is a neurodegenerative disease or a progressive brain disease. Um, it's similar to Alzheimer's disease, 
um, except the way that uh, CTE presents in the brain is is very different from Alzheimer's disease. But mm-hmm. but what you know the protein that's abnormal in CTE or tau is what you also see in Alzheimer's disease as well. It's just how it's spread and where it is is that is what makes it so different. Okay. Um, but yeah, so so that's kind of the overview of CTE, and it really presents with these worsening memory. Uh, behavior and mood symptoms, um, often leading to dementia. Um, and we're seeing it, and we've only seen in our brain bank, which is the largest brain bank in the world on CTE, mm-hmm. um, we're only seeing it in people with the with a history of exposure to repetitive head impacts. Right. Um, so we're not talking about concussion. We're talking, we're really talking about, you know, these, these hundreds of hits that, that tackle football players hit their head over and over again throughout every practice, every game, throughout their whole careers. Um, Those are the types of hits we're we're worried about. Right. And so I think that brings up an interesting uh, point as well. You said over the span of the entire career, which a big part of the study was looking into uh, early uh, childhood football participation. So uh, a point I found interesting, and correct me if I'm getting this wrong or phrasing it, bit odd is so for every one year prior to like the age of 12 ish I believe a kid starts playing football down the road it's equal to around two and a half years of an earlier onset of cognitive symptoms is it did I phrase that about right um yeah it's more or less so we found that finding actually in in um in the whole sample of 211 people with CTE so not When when we didn't use a cutoff of age twelve, we found that finding. Okay. But actually, so when we used the cutoff of age twelve, so those who started playing before the age of twelve, mm-hmm. they had onset of symptoms thirteen years earlier than those uh-huh. who started playing oh, at okay. or wow. after age twelve. Okay. And so, what do we see? Can you sort of explain? I, I think something people are really interested in. In is how early you can start to see some of these symptoms. And I know it was just the just the brains that you guys studied in this study that you're basing it off of, but of those, do we know how early people start to see these symptoms? And like, uh, obviously they see them earlier than people who started playing later, but do we have a general right. idea of when in their life they start to develop this? You know, it really, we get that question a lot, but it really ranges across, we're finding it ranges across the lifespan. I mean, we've seen symptoms in early as, you know, people who are 20 years old um, or in their 20s, not necessarily 20, and then it goes all the way up to, you know, 90 years old. Um, The key issue with that, though, is that particularly when we start to see symptoms early on, they often tend to be behavior and mood problems. Sure. And it's really hard for, it's really hard for us to, distinguish those problems from, uh, you know, other uh, psychiatric problems not related to CTE or post-concussion syndrome. So that's really a challenge for us. Okay. I think you brought up an interesting point, too. Uh, One that I think gets um, lost in a lot of the conversation is you you said you're not talking about necessarily concussions, but just head impacts. Uh, Is there a, a... a person or a position maybe that you saw more just impacts where it just seems if you're just watching the game, the quarterback doesn't receive as much impact as say an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman. Is, is that true or have you seen it maybe just across the board? So, I mean, yeah, I mean, we found, we, we have found CTE in, in, you know, across the board of positions. I mean, 
we often when you look at our data, you'll see that that we'll see CTE more in, in linemen. But also, if you think about the game of football, there's more linemen to begin with. Mm. Um, so that it can, you know, they do have the, they do tend to have the most head impacts, and so maybe there's a relationship mm-hmm. there, or maybe we're just oversampling of linemen because that's the most you know common position. Yeah. And to kind of follow up on that. W- do we know what constitutes as a head impact? As you said, not necessarily a concussion, but do, I mean, is any impact a head impact or is it a tackle or do, do we know that yet? The type, yeah. So, I mean, the, we refer to them as sub-concussions. Okay. Um, and what that is, it's a hit to the head uh, that doesn't result in symptoms, but we do think it's, a, it's enough force to do, cause some type of brain injury. Okay. We're trying to figuring out, you know, how much force is needed to actually cause brain mm. injury, so we don't know that yet, mm. but that's kind of our theory at this point, um, which is very different from concussion. A concussion is when you hit your head, and then you have symptoms right away, mm-hmm. and then right. with with an acute concussion, so a single concussion, a majority of people recover in a week or two, um, so we're not talking about that type of injury here. Okay. Is there, Do we have... Um Something I've always been curious about is so so of the 246 brains that were donated, 211 of them were diagnosed, but there's still that that segment that did not show signs of CTE. Do we ha- is there any clear picture of why certain people um, come across this in their playing careers, or is it mainly just kind of like a stroke of luck thing? Yeah, the, I, I think arguably the people, the 35 people who didn't have CT, those are the most important people to study mm, right. um, because they're really going to give us insight into who does and does not go on to develop CT. Um, I, I think that, you know, one we think that, you know, you have to have this history of repeated head impacts to get CTE, mm-hmm. but that alone in itself is not going to be the, you know, the responsible for getting CT. There's going to be other risk factors at play, whether it be genetics, um, you know, medical history, or what, what what have you. There's something else at play that we, we haven't found yet and that we're continuing to look at. Okay. Interesting in, in the sense when you're looking at those, I, I like to almost how you kind of flip that on itself and say we're actually looking at the people who didn't have it because maybe they can reveal more. What are you looking for in those? I know you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but could you expand on what are you studying to try to, to advance some knowledge in that aspect? Yeah, we're, you know, one of the big things we're focused on is genetics. Um, so that's that's been genetics is a widely studied topic in other degenerative diseases like Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might interact with, you know, head trauma to to increase someone's vulnerability. Um, you know, other things we're looking at include, you know, lifestyle, um, things like people who use substances or just sedentary or kind of cardiovascular disease. Um, so, uh, you know, another thing that we still have to look at is the exposure to head trauma itself. Um is it the type of head, tra- the location of head trauma? Is it the severity? Is it the total amount? Um, these are all questions that, you know, we're trying to figure out. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so, um, one thing I definitely wanted to touch on was how the NFL specifically interacted with this research. Um, in the immediate aftermath, uh, they put out a statement essentially saying that they were interested in the study and they're supporting anybody who's 
who's studying these topics and trying to increase player safety and all of those things. But then soon after, Roger Goodell at, I believe it was a forum with the New York Jets, sort of downplayed the study saying that there were still a lot of questions left, which I think both parties agree there are still questions left, as you kind of touched on um, earlier, right. where you're still studying the brain. But um, And then in July of last year, the NFL led a partnership with the National Institute of Health Expire with $16 million left unspent for concussion research. So a question I have is, in the time after the study came out and was widely talked about, um, did the NFL at the executive level or even front offices of teams, did you think they tried to distance themselves from the research or did they reach out in any way to try to get more information of what you guys had found? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm not sh- I'm not sure, actually, to that question. Okay. We, we, we are, we're independent of the NFL and our research sure. is in- independent. Um, so what they do and, 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 and in our interactions with them in terms of our research are, are, are independent of each other. Sure. Um, so yeah, so I don't, I I guess I don't have a comment on that. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so let me ask, um, I, I guess sort of a follow-up question. In, in your guys' research, you, you have had all of these findings. Would you... Obviously, being an independent organization, you're going to continue to do the research as you see fit. But would you guys be open to any sort of interaction with sharing facts at a at a different or more specific level with the league, given all of the findings that you're coming across? So we, you know, as part of all of our NIH studies, mm-hmm. um, one of the, you know, a big part of them is sharing data sure. uh, with whoever, making it publicly accessible so that you know, we can facilitate research so we're not the only ones doing it and other people are doing it. And, and that's happened quite a bit across the different institutions. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we definitely advocate on sharing data in order for others to do research on this topic. Because one of the things, you know, you know, one of the things that we do have to address and that we continue to think about are the limitations of these studies, that, that uh, including um, the potential bias of, of, mm. of selection from entry into our brain bank. You know, mm. we're more likely to get people who have symptoms um, and who have suspected CTE. Um, that's just the nature of, of why people might donate. Right. Um, so we have to we have to kind of overcome that and, and figure in order to really figure out how how common uh, CTE might be. Sure. I remember when I was growing up, my uh, my I wanted to play football. My mom wouldn't let me because she thought it was too dangerous in terms of broken bones and uh, you know twisted ankles or such like that. And I'm not sure you know 20 years ago uh, how much. Uh, if any, you know, concussions or CTE played into that, I'm certain none because it was 20 years ago. But I'm curious how the narrative has changed in terms of uh, whether parents are reaching out or it, it, or vice versa. You know, these studies are reaching reaching parents. How are you seeing the younger generations of football changing, if at all? Well, I, you know, I see it, you know, we, we do know from, you know, different reports out there that, Participation in youth football seems to be on the decline. Mm-hmm. There are campaigns being led by nonprofit organizations like Concussion Legacy Foundation, who are campaigning for um, to not to not let to not start playing football until the age of fourteen, so around high school level. So I think there there are changes. Our studies are increasing the awareness to the possible long term consequences of of playing young and, and playing football. Um, and I think so. I think you know. I think there are changes being made, um, however slow they might occur. 
I think, yeah, I've, I've found it kind of fascinating as to terms of what the future of football will be because it seems like a change is inevitable, especially in the youth uh, ranks. And one thing that I always thought was would be interesting is maybe when they're, when players are younger, you know, say 8, 9, 10, uh, kind of have a flag football. Because as you mentioned, kind of tackle right. football. Would flag football just kind of differentiate? It's not necessarily football, the game itself, as much as it's that head impact. And if you try to remove the head impact from – you know right. the game it, it makes it a much safer game right i think yeah exactly in that campaign i was talking about that's what they're advocating for mm-hmm. is instead of tackle have it being flag football because you, you really can't also ignore the benefits of playing a team sport mm-hmm. um you know they're, it's associated with a lot of social a lot of physical benefits and it you know it doesn't make sense to remove those benefits but it does make sense to modify modify the best you can to make it as safe as possible as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then so I, I think a good a good place to sort of wrap up our conversation, I, I'm really interested in what um, you guys are working on currently in regards to concussions moving forward after. Because this body of research gained a lot of traction. I think it really brought a lot of awareness to many different groups who maybe hadn't noticed it before. So I think a lot of people are starting to pay attention. So what can we expect in the future in terms of next steps of research or things like that? Yeah. Yeah, so I think a critical next step is being able to detect and diagnose it during life. Okay. Um, so there's a there's a lot of people who are currently living, um, you know, who are having you know might be having memory or thinking problems, mm-hmm. uh, and they are concerned and and so we're trying to figure out a way where we can detect CT during life and distinguish it from other diseases. Um, we currently have uh, at our BU center right now, um, being led by Dr. Stern and um, and others, a a multi-site. Um, study of National Football League former college players, uh, where they're they're coming in and they're doing a, a three day uh, examination of thinking and memory tests, uh, imaging of the brain, and uh, they'll do this at a baseline, and then they'll do a three at a three year follow up. And the hopes of this study is that it'll it'll lead to ways where we can detect CTE in life and. And um, I think we're in the we're in the currently in about the third year of that study. I think. Okay. What, and just one quick follow up with that: when you're when you're working with these athletes, uh, are, are they are they eager to you know help out? Are they scared? Are they nervous? Um, because it, it is kind of a, a scary disease in in terms of losing memory and such. How are they reacting to the research? No, it's all been very very positive. I mm-hmm. think that they, you know, a lot of them are eager. To, to participate because a lot of them are having genuine problems mm-hmm. and where their their healthcare providers are having trouble figuring out what exactly is going on. Sure. Um, and as and mostly because there's no way to pick up CT in life right now, so the the trouble of figuring out what is going on is completely understandable. Yeah. Well, Dr. Alaska, once again, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us about this. And I I hope personally that this continues to gain steam and people are continuing to educate themselves and be aware of what's going on and how impactful this research can be. And maybe uh, try to make football a safer game so we can continue to have it, but just not at the detriment of the people who are putting the product on the field. Right, I couldn't agree more. Thank yeah, you very much. Absolutely. Well, once again, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Thank you. 
All right. So once again, really appreciative that uh, Dr. Alasco could join us and talk through uh, some things that really interested us. And Mike, I know you had a couple of things that really stood out to you from that he discussed. Yeah, I've written a couple of concussion stories. A lot of research uh, went into them. I think almost every paper I've been at is just a, a sports and concussions right. kind of go hand in hand. And I think the and I, as I did it right now, CTE and concussions don't necessarily link. It's not right. a concussion story. It's a head injury story. And I think that's something that really needs to be thrown out in the public that it's not concussions. It's just right. repeated head trauma. And it's almost impossible not to endure that if you are a offensive lineman or yeah. a defensive lineman. They bang heads every snap and then yep. every practice and then how many times do they practice and it's just this long 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 journey right. uh that unfortunately sometimes ends in cte so i think that's something where when you speak of the future of football i think and as you heard in the interview taking head taking the head out of football which i know that's what football is trying to do anyways they're trying to you know no helmet to helmet lower right. the shoulder you know between the thighs and the chest, so yep. to speak. And especially for youth, I just see flag football seven on seven. Yeah. It, it really allows you to learn the game. It doesn't really, it just, I don't understand. You look at T ball, they have a T and the base path is sure. not 90 feet. I think basketball should do the same thing. They should start with eight foot hoops or seven foot hoops. Oh, I think they do. Yeah, at some, the, the, at some yeah. levels, for us, when I was growing up, it, oh really? It, yeah, it was we were ten and nine, and we had to shoot at a ten foot hoop. Oh, uh, okay. But you look, the three point line is not the same in the NBA as it is college and, and anywhere. High school, sure. So I think for football, it should be the same thing. It, I, I really do. I think yeah, for everything, it's a hundred yard field, and yeah. It just it's doesn't make pretty, any sense. Yeah. There's no reason for a bunch of five-year-olds to be running around because they can't throw the ball anyways. No. Well, and I think, too, I mean, you look at – one thing that really stood out to me when he, he spoke about just repeated uh, contact to the head is a couple of things. You look at – obviously, offensive linemen, like he said, are the ones that are most exposed because there's more of them. There's constant uh, – constant – uh, action going on for them on every play but you even think about it, it it's not like it takes that much right so even a cornerback and wide receiver who work in press coverage during the during the span of the game there's no reason why there's not contact on almost every play in that regard as well and then you look at somebody like when you spoke about the nfl trying to take the head out of the game of football it, it's a fast moving game you look at someone like ryan chazier who people were critical because they were like oh he led with his head on the play in which he uh uh, and acquired this the spinal injury that's now had him out of the game of football for a year plus. But how do you react when the game's moving that fast? So I think it is you you kind of just look at the physicality of football and it's it's striking how often this could happen to people. I don't know if football was ever meant to play this fast, this strong. When you look at the guys right. back in the seventies right. and eighties, they were not this fast. They were not this no. big. The the linemen have now become the linebackers in terms yep. of weight and body size, and they're all much faster. The yep. linebackers are now what wide receivers were, and yep. in terms of speed, uh, tight ends are are now linebackers that can run. I mean, yep. look at Rob Gronkowski. Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, he's 
has, has Dan Levertard on ESPN? He's a polar bear. He's a yeah. polar bear running down the, the field. And how do you yeah. tackle a polar bear? Well, and I I look I listened to Mike Lombardi on the uh, GM Street on the Ringer Podcast Network, and he talks about tight ends as basically slot receivers at this point. So you look at a position that's traditionally like a Wes Welker type, like a five eight five nine shifty receiver. And now you're moving a guy that's six six two hundred and seventy five pounds that runs like a four six forty coming down the middle of the field and just matching up with a linebacker. Perfect. So it's not even like look at James Harrison in his prime. You know, I yeah. mean he's obviously in the twilight of his career now, but the dude is a is a monster that used to be like an, a defensive tackle. Yeah. And now he's a linebacker. <laughs> right. It's insane. It, it really and I think you see that now we're talking about football specifically, but you see that across the board in something like baseball as well, where you see arm injuries because now pitch I don't think anyone expected guys to be throwing 105 mile an hour fast. I would actually disagree with you on that one because if you watch the documentary on uh, oh, Netflix boy. fastball, oh, we've t- we've talked about but this it, before. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting though when you bring up uh, the fact that if you watch the documentary, it's really interesting because it shows Nolan Ryan has thrown the fastest fastball of all time at about 108 miles an hour, and now you look at Araldis Chapman at about 106, right. 105.9. Whatever I think it, it is. was, yeah, but it. it that's exactly the point. And I think uh, uh, Christy Mathewson uh, threw it, um, I think it was a 94, 90, somewhere yeah, in that yeah. range. But, you, it, you know, 1920 to 100 years later, okay, it's, you know, it's within 10 miles an hour of itself. Sure, sure. Where football is nowhere near. It's, it's not a much different game. Much different well. game where baseball it's changed a little bit. The athletes have certainly better. Right. But – you're not seeing and there's also a four thousand yard passer in the in and the stakes aren't as high, right? I mean, in terms of uh physical contact and bodily harm that can be accrued. Um it, it really yeah, I, I, I think and what, the thing that really stood out to me was um when Dr. Olasco spoke about the brains that didn't come back with CTE. I think it's interesting to me to see that not only was this study put out where we really examined um, the impact on the brain through football, but the study will continue to try to find out what did these players do to possibly allow themselves to not deal with CTE down the road, or was it merely just a stroke of luck? And I think that's what interests me the most is the future of these studies and seeing what really is. Um, what, what's the difference maker? Yeah, it's interesting because when you look at, we talk about the future, it looks like certainly people are much better athletes now because of science right. and taking care of the yep. bodies and such. Absolutely. It looks like this is how the game of basketball is supposed to be played. When you look at the athletes now, like this oh, is yeah. exciting. Yep. And you look at football and you can see flashes of it. You know, this right. is how, but then whenever you see a full speed collision, you, it's, you're a like, car this, it's a car wreck. This doesn't, I'm not sure this was supposed to right. be like this. It's much different than it was. Even I remember growing up and watching games in the nineties and yep, there wasn't this no. collision. I mean, you would see big would hits, happen. but it would be like two a year, and the guy would get laid out, and you would be like, oh, my God, that may have been like and a little. You're looking at guys that were 2, 250 right. instead of you know 280, but it, they're mo- going 4-4. Four, four. Yeah. That, no. like, that doesn't 4-5. Yeah. I, I think when you look – Often to me when I'm watching football, I'm like, this is the this is like the wrong time period. Like it feels medieval almost, where it's just like this is a battle of like. And I think where it, 
I wouldn't disagree with you. I think where the interesting thing comes in is the youth, as we were talking right. about. Because you know what? If people want to play football, more power to mm-hmm. them, it, you know, if they know that it's dangerous. Yeah. But I think the key is understanding, and this is where Completely the research agree. comes in, yep. understanding what the threats are. I'm not sure anyone really 100% knows what the threats are in terms of how many head hits, head hits right. how many what type of trauma yep. counts as a so it's just finding that research and then preparing yourself and making a decision with that. It's like anything else, having the knowledge and then making a dis, an educated Absolutely. decision on that. And it is nice to see that there are studies like this going on um to discover what these things are. Now, me personally, I know Dr. Olasco wouldn't necessarily comment on the NFL's interaction with these studies, but you tried. I try. I tried. It it would be nice. Now, this is just my opinion here purely, but it would be nice to see uh, the league be a little bit more receptive to the uh, research that's coming. I think out. the league keyword there being league is overrated. I think that the the ask the bright spot in this is our players are helping, sure. you know, whether yep. it's former players saying, because that's where all true. of the, po- yeah. the true power true. is the players, uh, the, the league, while people aren't watching the NFL because it's the NFL, there's plenty of they're watching arena the football. Player. There's Canadian, Canadian yep. football. They're watching it because it's the best players on the earth. So right. the, those players do have some power in terms of if, if whether it's, you know, partaking in this research or you can't silence, you know, that knowledge from being spread. Yeah. You're no, you're, Completely right. Totally agree. Anything else you'd like to add for the people? Something that stood out to you? I was just hoping that you wouldn't toss it back to me because, again, I have no idea what our our sign-off is. All right. Oh, man, that's right. Yeah, you don't know. You still don't know the sign-off. We're like about – I think this is episode Hope you'll have us 16. again. Uh, at this point, you're just hamming it up. I, I, I'm going to – I think it's hope you'll have us – I hope you'll have us back. I didn't there hear it, it the is. first time, there but I, I got it. All right. He is Mike Bonner. I am Montana Samuels. And Mike, go ahead and toss us out. Hope you'll have us back. There it is. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.